The following audio is from Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information, visit us online at www.prescottcornerstone.com. I'd like to talk with you today about unseen power structures. Our lives are surrounded by all sorts of power structures that we don't even see and we take for granted that they're there and of course, one example of an unseen power structure is the power in this building. Most of you probably haven't seen the huge electrical panels here. Most of us haven't been to the Palo Verde nuclear power plant or the Hoover Dam power plant or the coal power plants that give electricity to, to our homes. And every day we benefit from electricity and we use it without really being too aware of this unseen structure of power. And the same principle applies far beyond the electricity by which we read and swipe our phones and update our Facebooks. There are unseen power structures also at work in uh, business and in media and in politics. Recently, when I was in Washington, D.C., I saw this lineup of cars. It was all these brand new, late model, full-size Mercedes and BMWs, and they all had bulletproof glass and they all had tires that you could tell were, you know, looked a little thick. Like if they got shot, the car would keep driving. And they all had these funny license plates. They were sky blue license plates. If you've been to Washington, D.C., maybe you've seen these. They're, they're sky blue and the numbers and letters are in black. And at the very top in red, it says diplomat. Diplomat. These are folks from all over Europe and Africa and all around the world. And why do they all come to Washington, D.C.? Why do some countries that really are struggling financially invest hundreds of thousands of dollars to have a diplomat that looks just as slick and good as all the other diplomats? Why? Because it's the center of a power structure. A power structure that most of us, most of our days, are, are not all that aware of. We're kind of going about our lives, paying our bills and, and doing our thing. And meanwhile, there are these power structures that exist. I saw the same thing when I was in New York a few years ago uh, with a number of national journalists. And it was the first time I realized that uh, there's a, there are some different um, bars and restaurants in Manhattan and in New York City where sometimes the publisher of the New York Times will have a drink with the president of CBS News and some executives from CNN and Good Morning America at ABC might also stop by. And you realize, wow, you know, if these folks all wanted to get out the same message, they could probably do so pretty effectively. There's this whole network, this whole structure of power that goes relatively unseen by most of us. And of course, this is true in all sorts of industries, finance, sports, like NBA and NFL. Most industries, if you really get into them, it, it, there, there are often a few people who aren't usually out front who hold a whole lot of the power. That's what an unseen power structure is. We see today in God's word that when I pray, I'm actually accessing an unseen power structure. Now, this isn't the power structure in uh, Beijing or in Moscow or in Washington, D.C. or in the elite media circles. Th this is actually the most powerful power structure in the universe. 
And we don't often think about it, but when we pray, God invites us. He invites you as a follower of Christ to, to walk through these big old double doors and, and through a long carpet into a hall of power. A place where the most powerful network of beings in the universe is making decisions that affect everything, and yet the vast majority of humanity doesn't even realize it's there. And for those of us who do know it's there, we often don't realize just how powerful the unseen power structure of God's sovereign hand working around the world is. So when we pray... And we learned last week in Paul's prayer that we pray to the Father and we pray in Christ's name. Jesus also taught us that. When you pray, pray like this. Our Father, where? In heaven. Uh, At the seat of the most powerful power structure in the universe, hallowed be your name. And Lord, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. God invites you. I mean, imagine, there's this guy, David Stern. He's been the commissioner of the NBA forever. Guy has so much power within the NBA. If you're a sports fan, imagine that you get to be in David Stern's inner circle. If you're a big finance fan, imagine that you could be in Warren Buffett's inner circle. This network of, 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 of people who have so much power over these entire structures. And God invites us in the same way To come in and sit down with him at the very center of the most dynamic, the most resourceful, the most often unseen power structure in the universe. God invites you to access that power. Not only that, but he gives me an active role in giving power to others. This might sound weird to you, okay? But we're going to see all this is from scripture. He gives you an active role. Not only to go into that power structure, but to to get power and give it to other believers, as well as to draw power for yourself. This is why diplomats from all countries around the world line up in Washington, D.C. They're there to draw power. They're there hoping that if their nation is poor, they can get access to hundreds of millions of dollars in financial aid from the U.S. government. They're there hoping that if they have a very poor military, that maybe they can make a few promises and get their hands on a whole bunch of the most advanced military gear in the world. They're there to draw power for themselves and to give power to the people in their country. There's so much power available in Washington, D.C., so they line up to get access into the halls of power. Do we realize when we pray that we're accessing a power structure that's no less real and far more powerful? So why aren't we lining up like that to pray? We're going to see in God's word today that when we pray, it's actually a biblical thing. It's a God-honoring thing to ask God for power in our lives. And to ask God for power in the lives of the believers around us. If you want to turn to Ephesians chapter 1, we're continuing our study on the prayers of Paul. And in this study, we have been challenging ourselves 
to pray more like an apostle. You can think of it this way. You know, uh, since Jesus rose from the grave until today, there are 2,000 years of Christians praying. That's probably hundreds of millions of prayers, if not more. Hundreds of millions of prayers. Of all those prayers, God picked just a handful. And he said, I'm going to pick these prayers and I'm going to put them in my written word, the scriptures. I'm going to put them in my word, which which 2 Timothy 3 says uh, is powerful and and effective for teaching us in righteousness. His word, which he gave to us as a love letter and also as a guide to say, here's what it looks like to follow Christ. In all of the New Testament, which really, really helps us in our lives today, there's just a handful of these prayers where we get to see, here's how a believer prays. And they're not in there by accident. God placed them there. So in this series, we're, we're picking those prayers apart. And we're comparing the way that we usually pray to the way that God teaches us to pray through Paul and through the other apostles. And, and on week one, we talked about building a base. If you've missed the last two weeks, either one of them, week one was build a base. In other words, we want to take your prayer life to the next level, okay? That's our goal with this series, is to take your prayer life to the next level. But the question is, do you have a prayer life to take to the next level? Is your prayer life more than occasionally thanking God for the food and calling out to him when you get a flat tire? Those are good things. But do you actually have a consistent prayer life? If you don't, you can pull up week one on our website. We gave you four really practical steps. You can start today to have a consistent prayer life. Last week, we looked at the role of the Holy Spirit in prayer, that he's your prayer coach. When you get started on your prayer life and and you get discouraged, God has given you a coach, a helper, one who comes alongside you. He will help you when you don't know how to pray. And if you ask him to teach you how to pray, he will. The disciples said to Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray. And we can say today, God, teach me to pray. Holy Spirit, I know you're in me and you intercede for me. Will you teach me to pray? This week, we continue going through Paul's prayers in Ephesians. And we're going to look at two texts, chapter 1 and chapter 3. And what we're going to see is in these two relatively short prayers, Paul's going to use words for power and strength a total of nine times in these relatively short prayers. In these two short prayers, Paul uses four words for power and strength, and he's going to use them nine times. These two Greek words, two of them form our English words dynamite. The the Greek word dunamis is our word dynamite. And there's also the Greek word energeo from where we get energy. So when Paul prays for power in our lives, it's not a theoretical power. It's not a metaphor. It's a dynamic, dynamite, effective, actual power at work in our lives. Now, the other two of these four words he uses, one means to be made strong, and the other means to be supremely able. How'd you like to be supremely able in your life? Uh, Parents, as you're raising your kids, how would you like to be supremely able as a parent? Uh, When when you're having a, a tough time in your marriage, how would you like to be supremely able? When you have a neighbor who uh, maybe doesn't love the Lord, maybe they are like anti-Christian and you don't know how to, to interact with them, how would you like to be supremely able to know 
what to do. Well, we're going to see in these texts that it honors God and it is, it is good for our growth to pray to God and say, God, will you make me supremely able in this situation? Will you give me strength in this situation? You see, those who solicit God's power in prayer are the ones who see God's power in their lives. Those who ask God for power in prayer are the ones who see God's power in their lives. And they're also the ones in whose lives we also see God's power. And the opposite is true. Those who rarely ask God for power in prayer rarely see God's power in their lives. Let's look at the first of our two primary texts today. Ephesians chapter 1. We covered verses 15 through 17 in the last two weeks. Those are available on our website. Now on screen in our text here, I've inserted some numbers. And I have done this because you guys know I love Paul and I'm a big fan of his. But the guy sometimes will write these sentences that are like a paragraph. You know, five or six lines. And you're like, when is the period coming? And there's no period. And, and, and there's these commas and there's all these phrases. And it can be a little intimidating when we read those sentences to make sense of them. This is a little bit like that, verse 18 here. So that's why I've put these numbers in here. Paul writing from a jail cell where we know he says in other texts he gets on his knees and prays. So, so Paul says, uh, church at Ephesus... When I kneel down on the dirt or stone floor in my jail cell, where where it's hot in the summer and freezing literally in the winter, where it's damp and cold, and I've got these chains around my wrist, when when I kneel down and pray for you, here's how I pray. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Isn't that a beautiful phrase? I pray that your heart in Scripture is the intersection of your soul, your spirit. It's your inner person. And Paul says, I'm praying for that inner you. That inner you that no one else can really get to except for you and God. That's where I pray for you. Your circumstances matter to God, but where I really pray for you is, is way down deep in there where no one else knows what you're thinking and feeling. That's where I pray for you. And I pray that right there, your eyes would be enlightened so that you might know Three different things Paul's going to say. First, the hope that God has called you to. The hope to which God has called us. What's that? Well, that's the hope that Christ is going to return. That's the hope that this world is not ultimately our home. Second, Paul says, I pray that your eyes of your heart will be opened so that you'll know the riches of his glorious inheritance. We covered that last week when we learned that the Holy Spirit who helps us in prayer and lives in us is a seal or a deposit, a down payment of our inheritance. It it declares to the unseen forces of the universe, you're sealed, you're God's, you're his property, you belong to him. That's your inheritance. And so Paul says, when I pray for you, I pray that in your inner soul, you would have the eyes to see that Christ is going to return and you have a great hope no matter what's going on in your life. And secondly, I pray that you'd know your inheritance. Uh, Prince, I think his name's Prince Harry from the United Kingdom. You guys remember when Prince Harry, who of course is an heir to millions and millions of dollars and castles and estates and all that. Well, he volunteered to, to go with the British Army 
into Afghanistan. And for a few months, he was over there. Remember that? And there was some controversy because he could have chosen to kind of take like a commander position, but he chose to go out on the front lines. And think about what it must have been like for him when he was in the desert, in the thick of battle, that he knew what his inheritance was. He knew this is tough, but this is for a season. And he had a pretty nice inheritance to return home to, right? Paul says, when I pray for you, I pray that in your inner person, you'll know you've got an inheritance like that. You're a co-heir with Christ. Whatever happens to you down here in this battlefield of a fallen world, it's not the end. Third, Paul says, I pray that you would know his incomparably great power for us who believe. His incomparably great power for us who believe. Some of you, you just need to write that phrase down on your notes. You need to circle that in your Bible. From God's word, maybe that's what you take today. God's incomparably great power is for you, believer in Jesus Christ. And we can pray that even right now as you're listening to this message, you can pray from your heart to God, God, will you help me know your incomparably great power? If Paul prayed that the Ephesians would know it, Lord, I want to know it. And I want the believers around me to know it. I want to be part of a church where we all know your incomparably great power. Now, what kind of power is this? Is this like a lower level of power? Because I mean, we're talking about Almighty God, right? And it just said the power's for us or to us. It's available in our lives today. So uh, I'm thinking this is probably like a lower level of power, right? I was reading my latest issue of Car and Driver, and it was talking about how Mercedes and BMW right now are focusing on their lowest-end cars. They call them the entry-level luxury sedans. So they come up with this price point. They're like, okay, here's a loaded Camry. A loaded Toyota Camry comes in at like 31000 So we're going to make a Mercedes that's 33000 and that's called the entry-level model. And, of course, their hope is that, you know, a young working person will buy that. And as that person gets older, they'll get bigger and bigger uh, Mercedes or BMW cars. And that's their focus right now. Now, does a lower-level, entry-level vehicle have the same power as the $110,000 full-size Mercedes or BMW? Which, by the way, I won't judge you if you buy one, but I would not recommend it because they depreciate like nobody's business, okay? And unless you're going to lease it, the maintenance, yeah, it'll get me started. Okay, so do they have the, does the lower level model have the same power? No, it doesn't. You know, th- those, big, those big really expensive ones now have like 450 to 600 horsepower. Well, your entry level $32,000 Mercedes or BMW, you get the little logo, and you get this stuff on, it's really comfy inside. But really, it just barely has more power than the Camry that costs a couple thousand less. So, so when God says, hey, hey, you guys, you're all following me. I'm going to give you power in your life. Is it like the entry-level power? Well, let's look at our text. Let's look at the end of the text here. That power is the same as the mighty strength that he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead. 
So the power that's available to you, the power that Paul prayed, Lord, help your believers know, it is the present resurrection power of Jesus in your life. To put that moment in perspective, this was the ultimate muscle flex of the universe. Okay, ever since Adam and Eve ate that fruit in the garden and infected humanity with sin, there's been a power struggle going on for thousands of years in human history. Between Satan and his demonic forces, fallen angels who are very powerful, and Almighty God and his angels... And what happened at the cross was God totally outwitted Satan. Satan thought he was killing God. And then after Jesus dies on the cross, he rises from the dead. And at that moment, the whole universe knew, okay, we know who's more powerful. Because Satan can't raise people from the dead. Demons can't take a dead body and and bring it to life. Only God can do that. And at that moment, the resurrection of Jesus was the the power flex of the history of humanity, of God saying, this is real power. This is the power to create life. And God, through Paul, says that's the power that's available to believers every day as they follow Christ. And so Paul prays that for the Ephesians. And in his prayer, we see that that's a biblical, that's a good thing to pray, God, Will you give some resurrection power to my sister, to my brother, to my spouse, to my children? Will you help them today to know that kind of power? We're going to look at five different lessons we can learn about power just from these couple little verses. And here's the first one. Pray to understand the power of God available in your life. Pray just like Paul said, God, I want to know this power. I want to know it. In Philippians 3, verse 10, Paul's writing. And and Paul, if if you know much of his life, Paul was uh, multilingual, highly educated. He was metropolitan. Uh, He was a very sophisticated and, uh, when he came to Christ, very well-off person. And Paul's a person who, in the course of his life, would end up being in the presence of the rulers of that day, being in palaces, He'd had the finest foods. He'd had, he'd had everything that world had to offer. And then as he followed Christ, he lost a lot of that, most of that. And he gets to this place toward the end of his life in Philippians 3 verse 10 where he says, you know, all the highs and lows, all the different experiences I've had, I consider all of them rubbish. They're, they're, they're all trash compared to this. And this is so cool because it's kind of like a a little peek into, okay, this is like high-level Christianity here, okay? He says, there's three things that I've realized life is all about. It's to know him, to know Christ, and to know the power of his resurrection, and to know the fellowship of his sufferings. That's so wild because most of the Christians I know, including myself, when we think of our relationship with God it's and prayer, it's what can I get from God? You know, here's the big three. What can I get from God? How can God make my life more comfortable? And how can I never suffer again because I know God? And Paul says, you know, I've been through all that. I've been through the highs where there's no suffering. I've been through the lows. And here's what I've learned. The best thing, the most important thing you can dream of is to know God. 
And the second is to know the power of his resurrection. And the third is to know the fellowship of his sufferings. You know, so often when we suffer, we just pray that it'll end. And you can pray that. Paul prayed that in 2 Corinthians 12. Paul had a sickness, a thorn in the flesh, and he prayed that it would end. And God came to him and he said, no, it's not going to end. My grace is sufficient for you because my power is made perfect in your highlight reels and in your great accomplishments. And when your life is going great, my power is made perfect. No, no, no. God said, my power is made perfect in weakness. And so Paul learned, okay, it's fine to pray that your suffering ends. But Paul, with all his maturity, says, really, pray that you will know God in your suffering. Pray that you will walk with him through suffering. And know it with this hope that it's all temporary. I'm following a man who went to a cross and was beaten to death. And if I'm really following him, there will be some suffering in my life. And in there, Paul says to know the power of his resurrection. So we can pray to know that power. We saw that in Ephesians 1, 18 through 20. You know, as human beings, we're all constantly looking for power for our lives. Even when we eat, we eat and food is full of calories, which are a physics measurement for energy. We eat because we need energy from outside to go inside to fuel us and to strengthen us. And apparently, if you've ever been at Costco on a weekend, people are like starving in this community. (laughs) Because, I mean, it's like drive at your own risk, walk at your own risk through the parking lot in Costco on a weekend. I mean, look both ways over and over. Because even if you have kids in the shopping cart, they are not slowing down. They're, they're just gunning for you because apparently they're starving. I've learned before I go into the Costco parking lot to just, I take a deep breath and just, okay, I do not have to be first. I don't, I don't have to be first in the line. I don't have to be first in the aisle or first to the parking spot. I'm just going to let others go first. But, you know, we see the same thing at Walmart. Why, why do we go and, and we shop and we get stuff? Because, well, we are vast needs, C.S. Lewis said. We're big needs that we're walking around. And, and, and we need energy, so we eat food. And, and we need warmth, so we heat our homes. And, and, and we are people who, in and of ourselves, don't have strength and power. And we look outside of ourselves for that. Jesus described a different way of living. In John seven thirty eight, he said, whoever believes in me, out of him will flow rivers of living water. So as you interact with people, sometimes you realize, wow, this person is like a dry desert sand. And they need, they're just grasping for energy and power and strength from the people around them. You know, listen to me or, or, or give to me. And sometimes you'll meet a mature believer and you'll get this sense of like overflowing. They're not in need of anything. In fact, it's almost like, hey, there's so much extra energy and strength in my life. If you need a little, help yourself. What is that? Well, that's the Holy Spirit in them. That's God's strength coming out of them. That's a person who 
knows the incomparably great power of God for those who believe in Christ. They've fanned into flame the Holy Spirit in them, and they have this well of heaven's energy and strength that just wells up in them and it overflows. And it was Jesus who said, whoever believes in me, out of him will flow rivers of living water. I wonder, are our lives flowing rivers of life-giving power? They'll never be without prayer. They'll never be if we're not praying that God would give that kind of power and strength in our lives. Question for us, how much are we missing out on because we do not understand the power available in prayer. And that we can pray, God, strengthen me with your power. God, open the eyes of my heart that I would know your power. So in your prayers, you can ask God for his power. Second, you can pray in the power of God's presence. You're not just praying for power, but you're also praying with an awareness that you are in the presence of the all-powerful being. Oswald Chambers in his devotional, My Utmost for His Highest, which, by the way, if, if you need a daily devotional, I'd recommend it. My Utmost for His Highest. It's always one page. So if you have a short attention span like me, it's great. And in one of the My Utmost for His Highest, Oswald Chambers talks about uh, visually, with your mental eye, taking yourself before the throne of God. I remember reading that and thinking, oh, that's kind of wacky. But, but then I, I, I tried it and I realized, wow, this really lines up with like Isaiah 6, where the throne of God is described. The book of Revelation describes the throne of God. And in fact, in these prayers in Ephesians, we're going to see that Paul is going to close the prayers by saying, here's the all-powerful God that we are praying to. Let's look at that here in Ephesians 1, verses 20 through 23. God raised Christ from the dead and seated him. Where is Christ when you're praying to him? Well, he's seated at the right hand in the heavenly realms, Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is named, not only now in this age, but also in the age to come. So you're praying in the power of God's presence. I hope you know as you follow Christ that now your life is now going in grain with the universe. You know, do you ever feel like the whole universe is out to get me? Everything is against me. Well, once you follow Christ, it gets a little complicated because the spirit of this age is against us. And that's the turbulence. That's the opposition you're feeling. But the actual direction of the universe, you're ingrained with it. You're going in the same direction as it. And when you're, when you're praying, you remind yourself, okay, there is an almighty God who's controlling everything. It's an unseen power network. And I'm aligning myself up with him to be going in his direction. We see the same thing in Ephesians 3. Now, to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all that we ask or imagine, according to his power that is presently at work in us to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. You guys get the sense that we we just really don't understand this incomparably great power available to us. Third thing we see, we can pray for power to fill other believers. This is my favorite one. 
This one you can take with you from today. And in fact, when we close, I'm going to give you the the one-week power challenge. As seen on TV, the one-week power challenge will change your life, okay? It's not a smoothie. It's not a workout routine, okay? The one-week power challenge is just for the next week to start praying this for the people you love. God, will you strengthen my wife and her inner being? Lord, will you strengthen these believers that I love? Will you strengthen them in their inner person? Pray for power for the believers around you. What does this look like? Well, let's imagine you have a teenager, okay? If you have a teenager, you probably have a pretty good prayer life, right? Because, because you have a teenager, okay? And let's say you have a teenager who's, who's hanging out with some kids who are not making good choices. So, you know, the, the kind of American thing would be, Lord, help my kid not to make bad choices and help him not to do what all those other kids are doing. That's good. Pray for that. That's great. Here's what Paul prays. God, will you strengthen my son in his inner being so that he'll want to do what's right? Will you strengthen my daughter in her inner being? Will you give her power to know how much you love her? Will you give her power to know who she really is as a princess of the king? Will you give him power to know what his inheritance actually is and that he doesn't have to try to you know, find pleasure in this world because he knows what his inheritance is? I mean, if if we just take one thing today, let's take this one. Let's pray this way for each other. I got to do this on Friday because I was kind of thinking about this message and Mel had the kids for the morning and I was uh, driving by myself and I was trying to pray while I was driving. And, um, you know, four and two years old can be difficult ages of kids. So without naming any names... (laughs) You know, I, I had had the kids the night before by myself, and I just knew, like, man, they're feisty right now. You know, it's, and, and I knew Mel was with them, you know, and was, you know, meeting with some other folks and had them with her. And, and so, because of this, I never would have thought of it if I wasn't studying this passage. I, I, I just prayed, God, will you strengthen Mel and her inner person right now? Strengthen her to be the mom that she wants to be and the mom that you want her to be. And God, right now, will you strengthen Jack in his inner person to listen and to obey? And God, will you reach, will you reach his heart? Because we cannot reach his heart. You know, we can modify his external behavior, but God, he, he needs a heart transplant like we all do. Will you strengthen him? And God, you know, little Zoe, will you strengthen her in her inner person? So that she'll grow up to just become a beautiful woman of God. And that was it. You know, maybe 50 seconds of prayer. And then, and then when Mel got home that afternoon, because it was my day off, she, she said, hey, the kids were really great. It was a really great morning. And I thought, man, you know, what would life be like if I prayed that way for them every day? What would our home look like? What would your home look like if you prayed like that for your spouse every day? For your kids every day? What would your business look like if you prayed that for other believers in your workplace? Fourth, pray with power, knowing the mightiest beings in the universe are listening, they're paying attention, and they're actually adjusting the course of human history as God commands. Now we are veering from Paul here, James chapter 5. This is a different apostle. 
Another prayer that God recorded for us or teaching about prayer. And James says, pray for each other so you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Why are we looking at what James said? Because he uses two of these same Greek power words that Paul uses. And he's also talking about prayer. Is it a coincidence? Do you believe that you can have prayers that are powerful and effective? You know, when I look at promises, Scripture has so many promises for the righteous person. I tend to think, well, that's not me. I'm not the righteous person. And then God will remind me, hey, when you trusted in Christ as your Savior, I made you righteous. So if you have trusted in Christ, this is a promise for you. You can have prayers that are powerful and effective. Have any of you in here heard of the Kalamazoo promise? I'll tell you about it. Kalamazoo is a city in Michigan, greatest state in the Midwest, where I grew up. Kalamazoo has these anonymous, wealthy people who decided to make a thing called the Kalamazoo Promise. And here it is. If you go to a Kalamazoo public high school for grades 9 through 12, then your four years of college are completely paid for at any state college in Michigan. Sounds crazy, right? I'm seeing parents of teenagers be like, all right, see you, John. (laughs) We're moving to Kalamazoo. So I printed up the rules, okay? Here's the rules for the Kalamazoo Promise. First, it's for all students in the Kalamazoo public school system. You must live in the boundaries of the, the boundaries of the public school system. You have to attend all years of high school in that school system. Number four, the Kalamazoo Promise will not end. It is set up to go on for many years to come. Number five, the Kalamazoo Promise is a four-year scholarship, a bachelor degree or 130 credits, whichever occurs first. Number seven, the Kalamazoo Promise covers tuition and all mandatory fees. Now listen to number eight. Students must sign up for the Kalamazoo Promise at the beginning of their senior year. Meetings are held for all seniors each fall. There are two simple forms to fill out for the Kalamazoo Promise. So it's a promise that your college will be paid... But you have to act on it, right? You don't have to earn it, but you got to fill out a couple forms. You still have to show up for class. Once you register for those college classes, you still have to go. James 5.16 is a promise. Your prayers will be powerful and effective, but you do have to pray them. You do. And if I'm not praying for very powerful things, am I going to see much of God's power? If I'm just praying for little teeny tiny things, and God cares about those, okay? But what if our prayers actually reflected that we believe in this power, this incomparably great power available to us, and we believed the promise of James 5 verse 16? So start, start here, praying, God, help my kids to know your power. Help my wife to know your power. And by the way, this is a total tangent. I'm going to try not to spend too much time on this. Some of you guys know that I'm a total nerd and did a lot of research for a book that came out about a year ago about the church in North America. And one of the trends that all the research shows is that the majority of kids who grow up in Bible-believing churches walk away from the faith. 
And there's not enough, but there's some research out there that talks about why do some and why do others not. And the, the main thing that it comes down to is have the kids seen the power of God? If the kids went on a mission trip somewhere and they saw some crazy stuff and they saw God's power, they're much more likely to stick around. If the kids saw their parents on their knees at the couch saying, God, we don't know how we're going to pay the bills this year or this month, and, and them being honest with the kids and saying, kids, pray with us. We need God to provide. And then God provides. The, the young generation wants to see power, which is really ironic because the New Testament talks about it a lot. It's supposed to be part of the Christian life. That was a total tangent. Here's number five. Pray for power in my own specific callings and ask others to pray for my strength. Okay, so Paul, two short prayers, chapter one, chapter three, talks about power and strength nine times, writes some other stuff, gets to the end of Ephesians. He's finishing up the letter. And here's what he says in chapter six, verse 19. Pray also for me that whenever I speak... Words would be given to me so that I will fearlessly make known or boldly proclaim the mystery of the gospel. Paul knew he needed prayers for power, for strength. The point here is when you know what God has called you to, ask him to strengthen you for it and ask other believers to pray that he'd strengthen you for it. This is probably the easiest place to start. You know, if you want to start learning to pray for power, like Paul did, we talked in week one about, you know, a base model, getting started. If you want to learn to play guitar, you don't have to start with like a $3,000 Les Paul guitar and start with a, a little, you know, Takamini thing from Walmart for 60 bucks. If, if you want to become great at biking, you don't have to start with the most expensive bike. Start with kind of a cheap one because you're going to break it a few times. And then work your way up, okay? Well, you want to learn how to pray for power? Absolutely, pray for power for your spouse. Please pray for it for me, the other believers in your life. But if you just need somewhere to start, pray for it for yourself. It's the easiest place to start. At least for me it is. Because all day long, I'm aware of where I'm insufficient. And instead of going through the whole day stressed out at work because something's not going right, it's like, just pause and say, God, give me strength in this situation. We're used to praying, God, fix the situation. You can ask him for that, okay? God, fix the situation. And if you don't, give me strength in my inner person to walk with you through this situation. Give me power in my marriage right now, Lord. Give me strength as a parent. Give me strength as a grandparent. Give me power to be the neighbor you want me to be to this neighbor or to this Coworker, you can start by praying for power for yourself and ask the people you love. Hey, I know God has called me to share the gospel with this coworker. I was thinking about this. If we shared this at a home group, we'd probably say, so pray that they get saved. But Paul says, so pray that when the time comes, words will be given to me and I'll have the boldness of the strength to do it. We can, we can start praying this way. So the one-week power challenge. Who's, who's, who's going to do the one-week power challenge with me? Is anyone going to do the one-week power challenge with me? Who will you pray for for power and strength this week? You can write it on your program if you want. Who will you pray for? How, how would your family change if every day you prayed for God's strength for your kids? 
How would your marriage change if every day you prayed for God's strength for your wife or your husband? How would your workplace change if you prayed that way? How would our church change if, if every day we all prayed, God, Lord, for everyone in our church, and especially for our leaders, will you strengthen them in their inner being to do what you want done in our church? Man, I would love that. If that all seems like a lot, just start with yourself. Paul was praying for his own power in 2 Corinthians 12. You can pray for that. But will you, will you take that challenge with me? Let's stand together and, and pray for that as we close today. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters here. And I pray for me, Lord. Each one of us have a, an inner person, a soul, a heart. I pray, Lord, that the eyes of our hearts would be opened up so that we would see and know the incomparably great power that is for us and in us and with us today. Lord, we want to be people who show your power and who are used by you. Lord, we know this power is not to advance ourselves and to get us the nicest homes and cars and most comfortable life. That's not the point of the power. The power is that your kingdom would come and that your will would be done. So Lord, as we align ourselves with you, will you strengthen us in our inner being to be husbands and wives, employees, brothers, sisters, dads, moms, who know the power of God, who pray for the power of God, and who through prayer distribute it to each other for your purposes. Make us those people, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the audio from Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information, visit us online at www.prescottcornerstone.com.